Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by our friends at Molka Sports. Great guest on our show this week. Anytime we can get an owner of a pro sports franchise on, it's insightful. We've done that this week. Robert Sarver, the managing partner of the Phoenix Suns, is going to join me. Sarver led the purchase of the Suns in April 2004. He'll discuss the Suns' new state-of-the-art practice facility. They've done a $250 million remodel to Talking Stick Resort Arena, where they play their home games. Uh, Why did he go all in on acquiring a player like Chris Paul? Many people think that will help push the Suns into the playoffs and maybe even further than that. He's got a great story about how he got to know current Suns GM James Jones as a player and how that led to Jones' hiring as the team's GM. I always tell athletes, you're always auditioning when you're a player, and it turns out Jones was auditioning for Sarver and didn't even know it. Uh, And we're also going to discuss the potential of expansion in the NBA in the next few years. Sarver will take us kind of inside the NBA Board of Governors meeting when the owners get together, what are are they discussing, and, and things of that nature. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great. And I just love having, like you said, an owner, a big name on because uh, they're just on another level. You get so much insight from these guys and their mind is just so advanced and they're just involved in so many different decisions. And and like you said, Phoenix is, is growing and building. That team is, is getting better and better every year. So it's exciting to see where they're going. And yeah, he just has some great insight about expansion and what he's doing with a growing team. So I love the great interview with Sarver. Well, and so our audience knows, if you don't already know, I'm born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. So uh, I'm very familiar with the Suns organization. Uh, My first posters on my room when I was a kid growing up were Phoenix Suns players. My first real sports memory was 1976, the NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics, and the Phoenix Suns. I had the good fortune of going to a few of those games. That's where I fell in love with the NBA. So Phoenix is uh, a big part of my history. So Excited to have uh, Robert Sarver on the show this week. All right, let's get to some sports business headlines. Griggs, first, the NFL has its final four. The AFC championship is Kansas City versus Buffalo. NFC championship is Tampa Bay versus Green Bay. Should be two excellent games. I'm sure the NFL and Chiefs fans are holding their breath. Will Patrick Mahomes be able to play? 
he left last Sunday's game uh, with a concussion. And, you know, here's the face of the NFL. He drives TV ratings, and obviously he drives that high-powered Kansas City offense. So if he can't play, that's a different game against Buffalo. Yeah, I think you're right. Everybody's holding their breath because he's just so dynamic on the field, and that team is so fun to watch, and he runs the show behind uh, quarterback. I mean, he is the guy that, that pushes that engine, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can play. And I know uh, Chad Henney came in and did great, but uh, you know people are going to watch him on film now, so it'll be a different game if he's starting, if he's not starting, so we'll see what happens. But I think both will be great games either way, and it should be an exciting finish to the NFL season coming up. Then you've got Tampa Bay and Green Bay. This is the first legit chance where a team hosting the Super Bowl could be playing in the Super Bowl. So Tampa Bay is hosting Super Bowl 55. If Tampa Bay wins this game, first team in NFL history to play in a Super Bowl in their home stadium. You know what? Aaron Rodgers is playing great. It's the frozen tundra. But anytime Tom Brady's on the field, you've got to think his team has a chance. And, and I'll tell you what, you go into Green Bay and the way you beat Aaron Rodgers is you've got to keep the ball away from him. And Tampa Bay has Leonard Fournette. They've got Ronald Jones. I think they have two running backs that if they can run the ball and work clock and keep the ball away from Aaron Rodgers, they might just be able to win that game. Yeah, and I think on the other side of the ball, I think if you're Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur and the whole team, they're just going to try and rack up points. Like, get as much as you can when you get the ball. Try and score seven every time because, like you said, when you got Brady in there in a fourth quarter game, you got to be up by 28 or 35 if you're going to be comfortable. So if I think if you're the, the Packers, you go in there and try to just run up that score. And they're saying possible snow, too, which who knows, that could change the passing game and, and the whole outlook of it, too. Who are you picking in those games? I have, uh, I'm going Bills all the way through. So I got Josh Allen, the Bills beating the Chiefs, especially if uh, Mahomes can't play. And I think I've got uh, Green Bay taking over Tom Brady. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go Kansas City, but if Mahomes doesn't play, I'm switching to Buffalo. I think that's pretty (laughs) obvious. Uh, I am going to go Tampa over Green Bay. I think Tom Brady finds a way to get it done. I think they run the ball. And uh, I think the, the first team in NFL history, like I said, to host a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Um, and if Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl at Tampa Bay this year, that's his most impressive Super Bowl victory. It would be ring number seven for him. And to go to a new organization, wow. I mean, you know, I think what he's done already is is very impressive. Shows how you can quickly change the culture of a team. I mean, Tampa Bay hadn't won a playoff game since the early uh, 2000s. So what he's done with that team is is truly remarkable. Side note, I love the uh, catch up after the game between Drew Brees and his family and Tom Brady on the field at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in New Orleans. You know, there was some great footage of Brady throwing some passes to Brees' kids. And, you know, here you have two of the greatest quarterbacks in all t- of all time just kind of cutting it up after the game. And, uh, you know, if that was Drew Brees' last game, what a career for him. He only won one Super Bowl, but all kinds of passing records, you know, undersized. Everyone doubted him. Maybe the greatest free agent signing in sports history. Uh, he failed a physical with the Dolphins and wound up signing with the New Orleans Saints. And, and what a time he had in New Orleans. A lot of people think that he's in line for a TV job if he does retire. So Drew Brees could be the next Tony Romo on one of the networks and be making a lot of money on TV. 
The thing I love about Breeze too is he does it with such class. Like he is just like he's got to be the nicest guy out there. You feel like you could just sit down and talk with him and have a beer for six hours because he's just such a cool guy. And how about his kid? I mean, your dad's your dad's Drew Breeze, and you're getting touchdown passes from uh, Tom Brady after the game. Not bad. Not bad at all. And yeah, he's meant so much to the city of New Orleans. He and his family did so much after Hurricane Katrina, and you know, really part of the fabric of that city over the last twenty years. So, uh, congrats on a great career to Drew Breeze. All right. Other headlines, Urban Meyer hired as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Many owners had tried to get Urban Meyer into the NFL before. No one had been able to do it. Now the Jags have done it. Urban Meyer's putting together a staff. They've got a ton of cap room. They've got a load of picks, including the number one pick. So he can go out and snatch Trevor Lawrence if he wants. He could take Justin Fields. I think everyone thinks he's going to take Trevor Lawrence. Pretty much a no-brainer. But he's set up for success in Jacksonville. So uh, interesting hire there. Um, Other headlines, James Harden finally traded from the Houston Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets. Boy, the Nets look good with KD and James Harden at the peak of their powers right now. So good to see uh, KD playing ball like he is. They don't even have Kyrie Irving. And frankly, I don't even think they need him. Pretty amazing what the Nets did. And then Houston, look, they had to trade Harden. He was disgruntled. He was criticizing his teammates. Um, You know, they got draft picks and they got draft swaps. But whenever you trade a superstar player like Harden Griggs, you're never going to get fair value in return. No, and I'm I'm not a huge Harden fan. I don't like his attitude and how he does the game. But, uh, I mean, obviously he's a good player and he loves being with KD. That's obviously his first game in Brooklyn is a triple-double. They're tearing it up in the East. That's going to be fun to see where they go. It's funny, too. All of a sudden, we're on the West Coast. You never see Brooklyn play. I think we've had them on TV like three of the last four games. So it's obviously bringing up TV ratings. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Other headlines. Jared Porter fired as the general manager of the New York Mets after lewd texts and pictures he sent to a woman are uncovered. Griggs, Steve Cohen is the new owner of the Mets. He said zero tolerance. So as soon as this story arose 24 hours ago, Jared Porter out. Good for him. But Sandy Alderson and the other people on the Mets staff, doesn't anyone do vetting and background checks on people that they're hiring anymore. This happened in 2016. And I know he's probably not going to bring it up in an interview, but this is where, you know, when you're hiring these high profile jobs, you've got to figure out how to do your vetting and your due diligence so that you don't have situations like this, where you hire someone, then the story comes out after they're hired. It's high profile. And then you have to part ways with the person because it damages your brand. In this case, the brand of the Mets. Now the Mets are looking for a new GM and they've got this uh, PR fire to put out. It's crazy. It's it's the New York Mets too. It's like, it's not some team no one's ever heard of, you know, minor league or whatever. This is like an iconic, huge, huge team in a major market. I mean, I agree with you. It's like, how do you not background check these guys? And it's, you know, 2016. I mean, that's, it's not like we're in 1810. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. It needs to be figured out better. And you're right. They had to let them go instantly, which I think was the right move, obviously. Well, and at the, the center of this, come on. Guys, be better. I have a company called Everything is on the Record. Everything is on the record.com. Give you a quick plug there. Um, don't send stuff like this. Like, it's just ridiculous that, that guys are still doing this. And this is what's going to happen. And women don't want to see that. So please, no more of this. If you're listening to this and you're a guy, don't ever send a picture like that. Like, it's just, it's a big, big no no. And it's lewd and it's crude and it's probably going to lead to something 
like what happened with Jared Porter. All right, another headline, LeBron James, according to Front Office Sports, is preparing to join Pepsi after almost 18 years with Coke. So he's scheduled to become the face of Mountain Dew's upcoming Rise Energy line. And the pending deal may also include integration with Blaze Pizza, which currently offers Coca-Cola products in 300 locations. LeBron owns about 10% stake in the Blaze Pizza chain, so now they'd switch from Coke to Pepsi. I'm sure that was part of the deal. So pretty big deal when you've been with the company for 18 years and you switch to the bitter competitor uh, overnight. That's what LeBron's doing here. Well, it's going to help Mountain Dew and LeBron and Pepsi and the whole branding. I mean, LeBron is obviously the biggest thing in sports right now. So big move, big get for Pepsi. And uh, we know Mountain Dew advertises quite a bit and they're always fun. And I think LeBron will add to that. So I'm excited to see how they move forward with their ad campaigns and Blaze Pizza, too. I think you'll start to hear more about them, too. And you've got the Pepsi halftime show coming up at Super Bowl 55. The weekend is performing. Maybe we'll see some LeBron integration uh, into the halftime show, or you know he's going to be in a Super Bowl spot or something like that. You know they're going to unveil that at, at Super Bowl. All right. Sportico has done valuations of NBA teams. And Griggs, I want to run down the list a little bit. Not a huge surprise about the most valuable teams. And, you know, look, I always say these are interesting valuation lists. Um, but really, a team is worth what someone will pay for them. So, right, we can have our houses valuated, but our house is really worth what someone will pay for it. So um, if you're the only house in the neighborhood for sale, it doesn't matter how much your house is for sale for. If it's the only house in the neighborhood, you're probably going to get more money for it. So it's the same thing with these valuations, but I think they're pretty close. So Let's start at the top. The New York Knicks are the most valuable franchise in the NBA. According to Sportico, $5.42 billion. So that includes the arena, the team, you know, MSG. There's a lot that comes with that. Number two, the Golden State Warriors. They've climbed to number two, $5.21 billion. And I think they climbed to number two because they've got the new Chase Center. They've got that brand spanking new arena. So that's part of their team as well. It's not just the team. It's that state-of-the-art arena. Number three, the Los Angeles Lakers. They were number two previously, $5.14 billion. They're the defending champions. They've got, what, a $3 billion deal with Time Warner Cable. So, you know, the Lakers are worth a ton of money. The Brooklyn Nets, this is interesting. They're at number four, $3.4 billion. And when you add a player like James Harden Griggs, he's like a mega corporation Undo himself. So now you've got, you know, two, potentially three mega corporations within the Brooklyn Nets, KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. They all come with their own brand. They all come with, you know, endorsement deals. We saw how much the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise value dropped the day LeBron left. Well, when you're the Brooklyn Nets and you get those three players on your team, your franchise value increases. Number five, Boston Celtics, $3.18 billion. Six, the Bulls, $3.14 billion. Houston comes in at seven, $2.77 billion. The Clippers, $2.63 billion. And it's interesting, Balmer paid $2 billion for the Clippers. So, you know, he's made some money, but a lot of these owners paid, you know, very little money back in the day. Like, for instance, our guest on this week's show, Robert Sarver, paid $400 million for the Phoenix Suns back in 2004. They are now valued as the 23rd 
highest ranked franchise, $1.64 billion. Griggs, we're in Portland. The Portland Trailblazers are valued at $1.91 billion. It's 15 on the list. The least valuable NBA franchise is the New Orleans Pelicans at $1.35 billion. Memphis is second to the bottom, $1.36 billion. But look, the average franchise in the NBA is worth almost $2 billion. So if you're sitting on one of these franchises, you know, Paul Allen, the owner of the Blazers, the late Paul Allen, bought the Blazers, I think it was in 1988, for like $70 million. Now they're worth $1.91 billion. So if you're one of the old school owners, you know, you've seen that franchise value just mushroom in the last 20, 25 years. And, and that's why, you know, being part of this club of 30 is so valuable. And you'll hear me talk to Robert Sarver about could the NBA be expanding? And if you do expand, now you're not one of 30, you're one of 32. You've got to split revenues with two more teams. But in the short term, you're probably injecting about four to $5 billion into your league and into the other owner's pocket. So it's a decision that will need to be made pretty soon. I think expansion would be good because then you can go out and get more TV money, more streaming rights. But uh, we'll see, Griggs. Anyone on the list surprise you value-wise? Well, I think I'm not surprised with the two New York teams being up there in the top five. I think Golden State's probably one that's really moved up lately. And that kind of surprised me that they were ahead of the Lakers at number two, uh, just because, uh, you know, I mean, five, ten years, well, ten years ago, they were nothing. And now all of a sudden they win a couple championships and get Steph and Clay and all that. And now here they are number two with the new Chase Center. So that one kind of surprised me the most probably this year. Our friend Mark Cuban, who's been on the show, uh, the Mavericks are in at number nine, $2.58 billion. So Mark Cuban has made a lot of money off of the franchise value of the Dallas Mavericks. I don't see him selling anytime soon. And that's the other thing. So you can have these franchise values and it's great. But, you know, unless you're interested in selling, who cares? So... Uh, it's interesting to see these. These are courtesy of Sportico. And uh, yeah, interesting when NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball has these valuations and we get a sense of what these teams cost, Griggs. Yeah, you realize how much money is in this uh, in this world of sports. And I mean, NBA, every single team valued over a billion dollars. That is pretty crazy. Over a billion with a B. That's, uh, that's a lot of money in that world. That's a lot of money. All right, coming up next, the owner of an NBA franchise Robert Sarver, the managing partner of the Phoenix Suns. You'll enjoy this insight and this conversation. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. My guest is Robert Sarver. He is the managing partner of the Phoenix Suns. He purchased the Suns in April of 2004. Robert, how are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us here on sports business radio. Uh, boy, you guys have been doing some really interesting things. So you hire James Jones as your GM, Monty Williams is your coach. You acquired Chris Paul before the start of this season. And then, you know, I see you're building a new practice facility, the Verizon 5g performance center, and then you're doing $250 million worth of renovations to talking stick resort. Did it happen to just work out where you're building the business side and the basketball side at the same time, or was this something that you put thought into? Well, um, you know, in terms of the facilities, it was more along the timeline of getting an extension on our lease with the city uh, for our arena. Um, and so that really drove more the timing of when we were in a position to 
really remodel the arena and also build the practice facility. The two kind of went hand in hand because we were relocating a lot of basketball uh, operations and facilities out of the arena into the practice facility. Um, and in terms of the team, yeah, we're really excited uh, about the direction we're headed. I think we have a good uh, good organization in terms of the people we have now in charge of making decisions. And obviously we're beginning to see some of our younger players uh, grow. And uh, with the addition of Chris uh, in his leadership and play, we're you know off to a good start this year. How much of the team's performance where they went undefeated in the bubble made you more likely to pull the trigger on the Chris Paul trade? Um, I would say a little bit. I mean, it, it, it showed we definitely had a lot of positive momentum. Um, I'm not so sure it, it kind of so much impacted me, um, you know, wanting to, to bring in a player like Chris to add to our young core, but I think it probably impacted him. Uh, in terms of, of of his view of, hey, this is the place I'd like to be. Yeah. Monty Williams, what an incredible coach. Uh, you know, I am based in Portland, Oregon, and he was an assistant up here for a while. And, you know, uh, yeah, just... He was the assistant there, I think, when James played. Right. Yeah, exactly right. So I forgot. They were they were both on, on the Blazers. But, you know, just two really smart... Uh, great leaders of, of, you know, younger people. Obviously you bring Chris Paul to the mix now, but what about James and Monty made them a a great combination together? Well, I think, you know, to start with, um, James, um, you know, I really got to, it's funny, James was here, uh, at the Suns and I really got to know him more through talking about real estate and, and finance. Uh, he was a finance major in college and, you know, my background is banking and real estate. So, you know, our relationship and our discussions really weren't basketball related. They were more business related. And that's kind of when I got a first, uh, look at, at James intellect and, uh, just kind of who he was and, and how he thought. Um, but, um, you know, James has, has created a really good reputation around the league. He's a good communicator. Um, he knows the game very well. Uh, he has good relationships with players, um, and he, he works very hard at it. I mean, you know, during this COVID uh, situation, you know, I have to go get tested every day at the practice facility in the morning, and it doesn't matter what time I drive by, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, his car is parked there. Hmm. Um, so he and his staff, uh, including the coaches, you know, are putting in a lot of hours, and um, James is a good communicator. He's a relationship builder. He knows the game and, and Monty's the same, uh, you know, during the interview process, we had just extensive discussions on, you know, how we would all work together and interact together and got to know each other pretty good. And so, uh, you know, the relationship has, has been good and I think it's, uh, helped create an environment here in Phoenix. So, you know, a lot of good players, as you saw this off season have chosen to want to come to yeah, so that's important. Uh, I grew up in Phoenix, and you know, I know it, it hasn't always been the prime free agent destination, but I look at what you've built with the uh, new practice facility, the Verizon 5G Performance Center, and it is state-of-the-art. And things like that, that's got to help with attracting free agents, right? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, players want to 
be able to get better and want to improve. Um, and this facility is a big step towards, towards helping that and be happy to talk to you a little bit about it. Um, but they're also interested in who they're playing with and um, their teammates and who their coach is. And so I think at this point, you know, we seem to be heading in the right direction kind of on all fronts. Yeah, let's talk about the facility. So, you know, state of the art, it's got cameras everywhere. You're getting real time data from the practice court. Uh, I see you've got an infinity jacuzzi for the players that overlooks Camelback Mountain. And again, I'm from Phoenix, so I know what a great view that is. It it seems like every piece of thought, you know, it's a world class uh, eating venue for the players. Just a lot of thought went into the facility. Yeah, it did. I mean, it, 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 you know, it started like any other real estate decision with the location. Uh, you know, real estate location is very important. And in this case, I think it was important, too, because, number one, I wanted to have a facility that was close to where our players live. And so it was easy for them to get to. They want to come back at night, get up shots, put in some extra work. Very convenient, very easy. Uh, so we picked a location that's probably within a 10-minute drive of, I would say, over half our players. Um, and then next, due to the location and the views, and also due to the great weather, um, you know, that we have here in Phoenix, we wanted to take advantage of weather and views. And so we have a number of outdoor training facilities. Um, our, our strength and conditioning area opens up to the outside. It's an indoor outdoor. And if you were to look at it today, you'd see these big garage doors open and, um, and, Plenty of uh, plenty of views outside and in open air uh, and sunlight. So you know we wanted to mac- maximize the weather and the sunlight. Um, and then the third thing on the indoor facilities, we wanted to have uh, the players have a view into the court. So uh, aside from how nice the facility is and luxurious it is, we wanted the players to know that hey, they're there to work and you know this is about basketball. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the last thing is technology. Um, with our partnership with Verizon and some of our other technology partners, uh, we've got some real pioneering uh, technology in the building. We've got, as you mentioned, over 150 cameras and sensors recording movement all over the place. And in terms of the equipment and the technology in that facility, it's, uh, it's pretty cutting edge and state-of-the-art. So all those things together, um, I think, help make that facility something that you know, is, is, is great for our players and our coaches. And, uh, so far they're really enjoying it. And I think they, uh, you know, they have, they have appreciated, uh, the investment the team's made in it. And as you said, the thought behind it, I have spoken with a few people in your organization and they tell me that your, uh, work clothing consisted of work boots and a hard hat for months between the practice facility and the renovations to Talking Stick Resort Arena, which we'll get to in a minute. But you were really hands-on with both projects. I was. I mean, I, I, I retired about a year and a half ago from my, my, my kind of day-to-day job uh, in banking. And so I had some time on my hands and have a fair amount of experience in real estate. And, um, you know, I just decided these are two projects I'd oversee, um, you know, Partially because I thought I could do a job, good job, but probably more so because I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, definitely spent a lot of time there. But we, we had great architects and consultants and contractors and everybody worked together to, to really bring us a uh, quite a facility. It came in short order, too, because as I mentioned, we had to get our lease extended 
at the arena. Um, and then we had to get the practice facility built before we could actually use the arena. Um, and so it was really a timing situation. And so from the time that I first sat down with the seller of the land to the time we actually opened the facility was 24 months. Wow. That's fast. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay, let's talk about Talking Stick Resort Arena and the $250 million approximately of renovations that you've done to that arena. I look at how arenas or stadiums are being either renovated or built right now, Robert, and I've talked to a lot of other owners and CEOs. We're going to be in a different time going forward after COVID, right? When people return to venues, they're going to be looking for cashless, touchless, um, you know, some things like that. How much of that went into these renovations versus just bringing people closer to the court and giving them, you know, experiential uh, kind of luxury type of uh, experiences at your game? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it, it was probably more of the latter. Um, but we, given the timing of the construction and, uh, you know, the COVID virus, we were able to incorporate a lot of new things um, into the arena in terms of, um, you know, being able to help with ingress and egress and sanitation and, uh, as you said, you know, a touchless way for our fans to, to interact. But the arena project, um, you know, it's hard to believe. When were you in Phoenix? Oh, I grew up in Phoenix, so I was there from, okay. you know, the time I was born, and I, and I really left there like in 87, and, you know, I got to tell you, one of my favorite players just passed, Paul Westfall. His poster was on oh, my yeah. my room, you know, when uh, I was growing he was up. A, and, he, was a, he was a great guy um, in, a, in a, you know, a real supporter of the organization, and I fondly recall, you know, uh, a few lunches with Paul talking about basketball and about the sons and it is, is really sad to see him, see him pass away. Um, so you left in 87, but you know, it's hard to imagine that, uh, the, I guess when you get older, time flies faster, but it's hard for me to imagine that the building's actually 30 years old. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the first thing we had to focus on was the infrastructure and technology of the building. We had to extend the useful life of it. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was centered around new mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and then, of course, all the new technology that goes with a state-of-the-art arena, whether it's a scoreboard or LED mans, new lighting, sound, Wi-Fi, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the fun part uh, was what I would say would be the second part, which is trying to enhance the fan experience, and, and that's what everything else went into. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, how fans get in and out of the building, um, we expanded our concourses uh, for, for flow of traffic, um, obviously put in new seating, everyone's sitting in a new seat. And then we added a number of new clubs and entertainment venues, um, including five of them that are open to all ticket holders. And so we wanted to improve the experience of everybody, regardless of where their seat is. Hmm. That's really good because a lot of people go, you know, and they're sequestered to their level and they can't move to any of those other levels. So that's pretty fantastic that you're allowing people to move around to all those different areas. Yeah, I mean, it starts with, um, as you enter the main entrance, our, our big pavilion there, uh, that used to be a place that anybody could kind of go in 
and then they would scan your ticket as you go in the bowl. Well, we kind of turned it around, and now as you enter the pavilion, that's where you get your ticket scanned, and we turn the actual pavilion into, you know, what's probably the largest sports bar in town uh, with a 7,000-square-foot LED board to watch games, huge open bar. We do our pregame, halftime, and postgame show there. And that, uh, it starts there where that's kind of the Grand Central Station or, you know, maybe the meeting point uh, for people to, to, to get together before they go into the game. And then from there, we built out a very large country bar that's open to everybody. Got two large corner bars with great views into the bowl um, and a, a really cool food pavilion uh, upstairs in the upper concourse. Uh, and so those are all open to everybody. And I think no matter where your seat is in the building, um, you're going to have be able to have a great experience, not just watching the game, but, you know, uh, before the game, after the game, and at halftime. You have a new Dactronic Center scoreboard, six times larger than the previous board. True or false, Robert, I hear that one of the reasons that you have moved to theater lighting similar to Staples Center in L.A., and Madison Square Garden in New York City is because Devin Booker said he likes that kind of lighting. True? Uh, that's true. <laughs> so you listen to your players. I mean, that's that's great. But uh, I, I've always liked that, too. I've been to Lakers games. And, and uh, you know, I think it does put that emphasis on the basketball court with the lighting being focused there. Uh, it does. It it, it, it it gives it kind of a, a unique feel, uh, like you're going to watch a show. Um, and and not only Devin, but a few of the other players commented how they they, they really like playing in that in that type of environment. That's great. Uh, I want to tackle a few other topics with you before I let you go. So, you know, we were talking a few minutes ago about cashless, touchless. What are some other new normals that you are focusing on coming out of COVID when fans do eventually return to arenas to watch games? Well, I think it depends when. I mean, eventually, once this this uh, virus is, is, is taken care of and and uh, is no longer an issue, I, I do think fans want to interact together. Uh, and I do think, um, you know, whether it's corporations that have suites or boxes or whatever, they want to meet with other corporations. One of the things we've really, um, I think, been a leader in in sports in our in our marketing partnership group is connecting businesses to businesses. Hmm. Um, those relationships, and you see a number of technical, whether it's Verizon and PayPal or, you know, Fry's and Verizon, uh, you know, we 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 connect our partners together and we come up with technology that can help our partners uh, succeed and, and, and generate more profit. So the technology piece is going to be big going forward. Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, eventually if sports gaming opens up the ability to, uh, along with 5g to use your phone, uh, to make bets, uh, as you're in the arena, the ability to, you know, use your phone and, click on the shoes that Devin Booker's wearing and get them ordered and sent to your house. Hmm. Um, the ability to um, have real-time information about how long lines are, different concession stands, uh, the ability to have information on the traffic as you're getting ready to leave the arena, which is the best route for you to get out of the arena and the best route for you to get to your house. 
Um, Technology is going to play a huge part, and we're going to be at the cutting edge of that. Uh, But I do think in time the interaction uh, between fans and the social aspect of coming to a game is going to to come back. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't don't think this will be long-term. I think people are itching to, uh, sometimes itching a little too much right now, um, to, to, to get out and interact with other people and other businesses. And, you know, a lot of the, with our clubs, a lot of the relationships that people have made with each other have really, you know, been important to them, whether it's social or business. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about another kind of relationship. Take me inside the Board of Governors meetings. I mean, you've got a new owner like Ryan Smith, who just bought the Utah Jazz. You've got, you know, longtime owners. I would say you're in the longtime group now. I mean, April of 2004. What's that dynamic like? And how much do you guys help each other? I know it's a competitive space, but, you know, especially yeah. around COVID right now, what are you guys discussing? Yeah, I mean, we're meeting on a regular basis. I'm on the advisory finance committee. We meet weekly um, and talk about the issues. Um, uh, Adam likes a collaborative environment. Uh, we've got a lot of bright owners who've got experience in a lot of different areas. Um, and, you know, we're all there to help each other other than when it comes to, to basketball. And when it comes to basketball, then obviously you can't believe anything anybody tells you. <laughs> um, but, but from the business side, you know, we're really not competing with each other. I mean, uh, there's there's not a, a, a season ticket holder that's saying, "Well, am I going to buy tickets?" You know, for the Indiana Pacers or the Phoenix Suns. Um, and so, uh, it's a very collaborative environment uh, in terms of the business side. And obviously, we're working very closely together right now uh, for our season. You know, in order to play games and and play them safely and and navigate through, you know, the treacherous waters of COVID-19. Yeah. What's that like? I mean, I know there have been some cancellations. Sometimes it's due to a COVID outbreak on your own team. Sometimes it's due to another team having a COVID outbreak and and you're kind of at the mercy of the scheduling. Did you guys talk going into the season about building in some cushion in case some games needed to be postponed? Yeah, we did. I mean, we, we knew, we knew that it wasn't going to run perfectly. We knew we were going to have to postpone games uh, and that's why we just published the schedule for the first half of the season. Right. Uh, we decided to leave the second half of the season open uh, so we could work around uh, games that had to be postponed and, and have flexibility. Yeah, very, very smart. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is a minority owner of the Phoenix Suns. I actually didn't know that until recently. Uh, super smart guy, NFL legend. How did that come about? Um. Larry's a good, a very close friend of mine and, and a business partner and some things. And, um, he's a big basketball fan. Um, and you know, he's been looking at different investments and ways he could spend his time when, once his career is over, whenever that is. And, uh, you know, we had several discussions and, uh, I've kind of brought him into the tent to, uh, kind of sit in on some meetings and, and help me get a good view you know, maybe a different perspective on what it's like coming from a player, especially a player who's, you know, been a leader and a captain in an organization. And so, um, you know, he's going to add a lot of value for us um, on the basketball side in terms of helping mentor some mentor some of our, our younger players and, and folks uh, that look up to him. Um, he's got good advice for them, not only on the court, but off the court especially. Um, and also helping our business, uh, our business side. 
um, working with our sponsorship group. He's, uh, he's very well connected uh, in corporate America, has a lot of contacts and is really interested to learn and engage. And so he made a significant investment into the Suns. He seems like a guy that from day one of his career, he was always thinking about post-career. Some guys don't learn that until later in their career or when they're about to retire, but he seems like someone who's always been thinking about that. Yeah, he is. I mean, if you were to sit down and talk to him about his business investments and what he's into and how he spends some of his off time, you'd, you'd kind of be surprised. And what I really learned to appreciate about Larry is how he tries to help his teammates uh, in that area too. So, you know, like as an example, he had a venture capital uh, manager in town and sat to meet with him and said, Hey, come on and sit in. And so I, I showed up and there were five or six of his teammates there, hmm. you know, all with their computers set to take notes. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he, he's, a he, he's got a, a, a real, interest in learning and growing uh he he's into investments he's into finance he's into real estate he's into sports and he's uh happy to help educate some of his teammates uh along the way which i which really kind of impressed me yeah that's great uh last question for you there's been a lot of chatter about expansion as a way to potentially make up some of the losses in revenues over the last season or so due to COVID. And, you know, Seattle's mentioned, Las Vegas is mentioned, but then, you know, you only get one thirtieth. And well, right now you get one thirtieth. If you expand to two more teams, it's one thirty second. When do you think the NBA is ready to expand? Because look, it's a great global game and there are cities that are out there wanting teams is there a time when you think it makes sense to expand? Well, I think as Adam commented about, you know, those discussions, uh, you know, I think are going to take place, you know, over the next year or two, uh, and maybe in the early stages right now as to whether that makes sense or not. Uh, in evaluating that, uh, as you mentioned, you know, you got one thirtieth existing owners have one thirtieth of shared revenue, which is primarily national uh, TV revenue. And so, you know, there's a math calculation uh, when you start giving up that revenue, you know, for perpetuity. What, what's that worth? Uh, so I think there's the financial and the math side of things. And then there's also the sports side of things and, you know, how that figures into competition and things like that. And so, you know, I expect those discussions to take place. I don't know where it'll lead, uh, whether it will lead to expansion or not. But, you know, certainly there's some great markets. Uh, you just mentioned two of them. Yeah, uh, Las Vegas and, and Seattle would be great NBA markets. Yeah, and you would think that when you go to the bargaining table the next time for TV or streaming rights deals, having those markets included would get you more money from the TV and streaming rights deals. Uh, it, it helps a little bit. Yeah, it does for sure. Robert Sarver, the managing partner of the Phoenix Suns. Great job with everything you're doing there in Phoenix. Again, as a Phoenix native, I'm excited to see what you're doing. I can't believe that the arena is 30 years old. That's crazy. That makes me feel real old. I remember going to the Madhouse on McDowell Games at Veterans Memorial Coliseum. I mean, Robert, the Suns were my first team that I fell in love with as a, as a boy. And, uh, you know, I remember I was at like one of my fondest sports memories uh, is the 19, I believe it was 76 NBA finals. Uh, 
I was eight years old and it was the Suns and the Boston Celtics. And, uh, you know, I just fell in love with the NBA and basketball after that series. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I grew up in Tucson, about a two hour ride down, uh, down and family friends of ours owned the team at the time. Wow. Uh, and, and I would try to catch a ride with them sometimes when I got invited and, and go to the madhouse and, and watch games and, remember some great series and some great games. Um, and that, that was my first exposure too. Uh, we actually put a little money in the madhouse and got it ready to play the Phoenix Mercury uh, season because, you know, we were remodeling the arena in the summers. And so we needed to play two summers, uh, there. And so we actually fixed it up a little bit, added some lighting, put our court in, redid some of the locker rooms and things like that. And, and it's, it's, it, our players, our son's players were working out there before we went to the bubble. Wow. Uh, working out there after the bubble and they kind of liked it. I mean, I was like, Oh my goodness, we just spent $300 million <laughs> on all these new facilities. <laughs> and these guys are kind of like sentimentally attached to the madhouse. Yeah. They're you know working out and I'm going, what if they don't like the new, <laughs> what if they don't like the new facilities? The old barn. Yeah. 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 And they would ask questions about old players and games and, you know, who played here and, and things like that. So it, it, it was interesting. Yeah. That, uh, that's the last thing I'll say is I think you guys have done a really nice job of uh, including some of the past son's greats and, and maintaining those relationships. Uh, you know, again, for people like me who are old school NBA fans, I love to see, you know, Alvin Adams and, uh, Charles Barkley and obviously Westfall and people like that, uh, still, you know, involved in the organization from time to time. Oh yeah. I mean, we have several alumni that work for the organization and we actually have an alumni coordinator whose job it is to deal with our alumni and, and try to invite them to games and include them in events and, you know, things like that. And, and, and the, they're, they're very appreciative, uh, our alumni of being included. Uh, one of the things that was important to honor the tradition of the former players is, uh, if you go to our new practice facility, uh, which at some point, you know, you ought to, see after COVID because you can't get in there right now unless you get all these tests. But um, at the, right at the front entrance outside is a big metal, uh, a big metal uh, kind of wall structure. Um, and it has the name of every player that's ever played for the Suns in it. Wow. Classy. I like that. Uh, it's pretty cool. Well, that's great. I, like I said, uh, I grew up, you know, a couple minutes away from where you're, practice facility is now so when i'm down there uh, i hope to have a chance to take a look at it after covid and after you know you can just probably walk in there or take a simple test but robert i appreciate you joining us on sports business radio best of luck in the future thank you thanks for having me take care you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back well that's it for this edition of sports business radio thanks for tuning in Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. 
This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.